What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kind of Neat. Thank you for tuning in, as always. First things first, if you are a weekly listener, you know the drilly by now. Go to patreon.com slash kind of neat. I know you haven't done it. That's why you're listening to this part. If you had it, if you had done it, you would have already fast forwarded past this. So I know that your guilty conscience is weighing in on you that you've never supported the podcast or you've never supported the YouTube channel. And so you're going to want to go to patreon.com slash kind of neat and just pledge $1 per episode. That's the way it works. Every time we release an episode uh some sneaky little elf will take out a dollar from your bank account and put it into our paypal account and uh that will be four dollars taken out of your bank account by that elf every month so it's about buying me like a latte or something like that um so buy me a coffee every month by going to patreon.com slash kind of neat helps us keep the lights on here and it helps me buy more fucking you know vociferous gold chains and rings and other such items that I don't need, uh, but that make me look cool. All right. So I'm not going to talk that much more on this intro because I just did a podcast yesterday and I don't have nothing new in my life happened. I haven't thought of anything to talk about, but also we have a super OG Kenny, uh, Kenny Siegel on the show, um, who is a beat maker and just all around musician, but he's also a bit of a historian. As you find out in this, uh, episode, he's been around the Los Angeles rap scene and various types of, um, music scenes from drum and bass to the beat scene, to the, you know, the, uh, mid two thousands rap scene, and he's managed to like maintain a, a a career throughout the entire time delving in all these scenes and he's also just managed to maintain like an influence amongst these scenes and a high standing in, in these scenes uh for like almost for like 20 years now so um there's tons of history that we talk about and it gets pretty um it gets pretty intense as far as like names and stuff like that. And we go through a bunch of people. It's, it's kind of inside baseball because he and I know a lot of people um, similar that have not been brought up on the podcast or that are like pretty regional people. Um, so if that gets confusing, my bad. But you know what you can do? You can just Google. And every time he says a name, it'll, you can make your own little fucking footnote to follow along with. But even if you don't know all the people that we're talking about, I think it was interesting as shit and it was a really cool conversation and the history ran deep and I love hearing about Los Angeles hip hop history. So without further ado, I'm going to get right into my podcast with producer from uh, Team Supreme. Um, he's also the producer uh, recently of Bus Drivers. Mo- I think a lot of Bus Drivers last record. I know he's a producer on uh, or that did the whole thing of Milo. So the flies come. And just various other projects throughout the years. So this is a producer named Kenny Siegel, and this is his kind of neat episode. Kenny, 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 Kenny. Yo. So Kenny, I don't know, you from Beat Team Supreme? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, like, that's kind of a newer thing for you. Yeah, that's kind of like the, yeah, relative to, like, my whole career, at least. Uh, it's kind of like the second act or the third act or something. Right. Uh, I mean, I originally, I moved out here in 97 for college. Yeah, where'd you go? I was going to USC. Uh-huh. 
And at USC, I was going at the same time as like Daedalus and mm. Ed from Edit from the Glitch Mob. Yeah. Uh, and we were all in the drum and bass back then. Uh, and I was in a drum and bass crew that we were originally called the helium crew. And then we were called on point. Uh-huh. And that's how like me and Ed kind of were making music together. Uh, and that's how it, concrete jungle bef- way before yeah, Kev's thing. low end theory, uh, Kev was doing concrete jungle. We all used to go up there and that's how I met a lot of the project Blowed MCs. Uh, so through that, I kind of started making hip hop and I think Kev actually brought Peace over to my house back when Peace was one of the residents at Concrete Jungle, uh, or over to my dorm room, basically, uh, to buy weed for my roommate at the time. Uh, and then we all ended up working on a song, or Peace ended up rapping on a beat I was doing that day called Faking the Funk, and that was like the first song I ever recorded with an MC, actually. No shit. What year was that? That was maybe like 97, 98, or no, I had to have, I moved here in 97. That had to have been like 99, probably. Yeah, so you'd been here for a minute, and you were doing your thing in the drum and bass scene, and then just serendipitous happens, and you meet Peace. Yeah, he just came over to my house, and, and at that point, I didn't think of music and genres as much. I mean, I was a drum and bass DJ, but as yeah. far as my beats, like, I was just making beats, so like, I didn't think of it like I was making a hip-hop beat right now, or making a drum, I was just kind of making stuff, so. Right. Um... How long had you been DJing at that point? I mean, I started learning back when I grew up in Maryland and D.C. Like, my last, like, two or three years of high school, I met this guy who made beats, and he was a drum and bass DJ and a graffiti artist, so he was teaching me a lot. Like, there was a couple of us that would just basically hang out. He, he had kind of dropped out of high school but had this apartment that his parents were paying. He, I forget exactly what the deal was, but yeah. he had an unsupervised apartment where we could all go and like hang out and learn and smoke blunts all day so and he was like underage to be having his own apartment no he was like 18 or not yeah. he was a few years older than me yeah. uh but yeah it was definitely some like kind of little like i mean it was like a artistic delinquent scene but it was definitely like a weird little delinquent situation yeah. so you're from dc yeah well maryland is Mar- like what the part outskirt. of maryland? Uh, Montgomery County, like Rockville, Maryland. Okay, okay. Rockville, Maryland. Yeah. Uh, were you were you always there? Born and raised there? I mean, I was born in in Silver Spring or Kent Mill, like like all around that area. Yeah, right, like Montgomery right. County. Yeah. Okay, yeah. What did what, what did your folks do? Uh, my dad was a is a lawyer, uh, but he's like personal injury kind of like like a private practice kind of small time little thing uh and then my mom wait uh, is that like do you mean like is that like an ambulance chaser or no no not like that uh but like i just mean like he does like small criminal cases oh, okay, and like okay. uh, uh i think he does he doesn't really do divorce or anything like that but like uh just kind of all sorts of that type of right. stuff and uh and then my mom she was a housewife slash now she works at his office now nice. that Kids are all grown. Brothers and sisters? I got one sister who's younger, but I'm old, so she's pretty old at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. I, like, always refer to my little brother, and he's, like, 32. Right, exactly. It's, like, my little sister, but she's 31. I'm trying to, like, use the word younger rather than little. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it what what's growing up in Maryland like? Like, what were you into as a kid? Were you always like, were you like the oddball rap kid? 
No, I actually, I mean, I my hip hop reference was the guy who drove me to high school for most of high school was a uh, huge Wu Tang and Gangstar and J Ru the Damage, like the whole DJ Premier like click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he played all of that and Wu Tang stuff constantly in the car. Yeah, uh, I was more into weird industrial music at the time. I like, like Skinny Nine Puppy. In, yeah, Skinny Puppy and Nine Inch Nails and like Ministry. Yeah, and like I. Uh, getting real weird like uh pig face i don't know if you remember I that know, i don't know that that was like a weird rotating band on alternative tentacles records uh-huh. where each album would have a different like all-star cast like there's one that was like trent reznor flea and whoever the drummer for ministry was and yeah. that was like the band for that album like huh. uh but yeah, I was all into like weird kind of that's and I think a lot of that influences my music still the production on that type of stuff. That was when I started realizing that production itself was an instrument kind of. Uh, you you know what's funny? Uh, the guy there's this guy that I credit with like putting me onto a lot of cool music very young. His name is Aaron, and he was one of my dad's friends. And um, I remember like my folks would go out of town sometimes and he would end up like just camping at the house and fucking watching my brother and I basically. And he was kind of like an older brother because he was like younger than my dad, but older than us. And he would put us, he put me onto like Rage Against the Machines for his record and like all, all these like cool bands that I'm still into to this day. And But he has, he had like a ministry tattoo. <laughs> and at one point he tried to get me into Skinny Puppy when I was like 13 or something. And I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I just, it wasn't for me. For well, here's the odd thing is yeah. I wasn't like into those bands like I wore their t-shirts right. or I went to their shows yeah in fact I didn't re- I was definitely not a goth kid I was not into like there's all sorts of shit like in fact I want to preface my liking of ministry like yeah. I know there's a lot of weird like the goth dance videos is that what that is that but also like I feel like there's a lot of weird like kind of racist elements and some of that oh. shit from back then like I, I don't know but I wasn't into that at all to me I just loved the music and I would like listen to those CDs and I would basically when I was first discovering weed I would get stoned and listen to those CDs and headphones especially Nine Inch Nails but like a lot of those other bands kind of I like branched off into because I was just really into like weird noises there was even this German band uh Einsterzende Nubatten, I think is how it's said. I think it's in German, it means like exploding walls or some shit. And they would basically have like jackhammers on stage and they would make like weird music concrete slash industrial dance music. No shit. But I was like really into the concept of all that shit more than the actual scene. Like as far as like my friends, I was friends with like some stoner kind of skater dudes, like for the most part. Yeah. That didn't really feel my music taste at all. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Um, but was music always a big part of your life or was oh, it just? Definitely. I mean, I played like some early piano lessons and I played cello all through like middle school and high school and the orchestra and all that type of shit. Yeah. And I started making beats sometime in like maybe 10th grade or so was when I met that dude. And then I also, the other big thing was I downloaded the software that was like an early like MS DOS sequencer on my parents computer yeah it was off of like back when the internet was like you had it was like bulletin boards and you had to like dial up on a modem and all that that old school shit what was that program it's called fast tracker and there was like a whole scene it was mainly in europe and what was crazy was you when there was no mp3s back then so when you downloaded a file to play on it you downloaded the person's whole sequence with their samples because that was way smaller like just having the drum sounds and the like kind of their version of a MIDI file right. was way smaller than a whole long wave file of something. Oh shit. So 
part of the challenge was you had to make these complex songs out of like little snippets of samples because you didn't want the file to be too big. And then the other thing is you would download the song and you'd have the person's whole file. So that's how I learned how to use it is I was downloading other people's people. music. I would look how they did it, use all their samples, and then make new shit out of it myself and kind of over the course of like a year or two. And then I had a friend who was trying to write like a video game at the time because we're really into like doom and all yeah, that stuff right. when it was coming out and i was working on like the soundtrack for his video game like that was kind of my first little forays into like music making i guess that's dope what is that program in hindsight like most similar to now well i actually used that program for many years even like all of megabyte all of the stuff i did with abstract rude most yeah. of that was done in that dos program and i i had a special old computer i used to save that could run it yeah uh, but then there was a program called... Well, why? Because it got a specific sound or just because that's what you knew yeah, how to use? Yeah, because it was a combination of both. It was yeah. That's what I knew how to use, but it also definitely had a sound, and it had, a, it had such severe limitations in what you could do that you had these tricks you would do in it to kind of make things sound off the grid and funky, and like yeah. that I felt early on was a large part of my sound was that software which is funny because now like you brought in an sp404 and i feel like a lot of people that use 404s they use it because there are like these specific glitches you can make it do right true the funny thing is i only really use it as a performance instrument yeah. i don't i mean i've made beats with it but i don't love the workflow of making beats on it as much right. like uh i love the sound but yes there's certain sounds to the effects of it that sound really tight yeah, uh, totally. and that they stand up to i mean i have all sorts of really cool guitar pedals i got some expensive compressors and shit but the damn compression effects and the eqs and the like the vinyl simulator effect on the 404 and, and even the reverb sound amazing compared to like all sorts of other effects and stuff I'd oh say. no shit but uh i uh I'm, I, always, I always like tell you this, but you remind me so much of Mark, that I, the equilibrium that I work with all the time. And uh, I think you guys are pretty close in age too. And his story is kind of similar as far as finding stuff. But he he always like takes pride in the fact, like, oh yeah, man, like I learned on analog stuff. And then when I found out you could do it on the digital stuff, like I never turned back. You know what I mean? So was it something like that with you where you said your friend had like some analog stuff or whatever? Uh, my friend, well, he had this drum machine. It was a digital drum machine. He had like, I think it was like the DR550 Boss. It was whichever one had, it had like four tracks on it. So you uh -huh. could have like two tracks of drums and then it had like a bass synthesizer and then like a kind of a sine wave synth or yeah, something yeah, yeah, yeah. so you could kind of make a whole song and that was what i cut my teeth on as we would and sine waves are the ones that sound kind of like buzzy right they just... well sine wave is more like the pure tone like you're oh, thinking of like okay. a triangle but oh, i think okay, okay. in fact you could probably choose what type of wave it was okay, it, could, right. it was any type of synth wave okay and we would literally come to his house in the afternoon one person would have headphones with the drum machine making a beat. One person would be DJing on the turntables, practicing, beat matching. Mm. Another person would be drawing graffiti and or rolling blunts. And we would just kind of rotate around. That was like... So hip-hop. Those are the, the It was. The and it's funny right because this, is, this guy's name is Cedric. He was a Chinese dude. Yeah. Uh, and then it was me, this uh, Asian dude uh, who was... Uh, 
to be honest, I don't remember, but I'm guessing he was like Filipino or something. And then this other guy, Dave. If he was a DJ, that's a safe bet. Yeah, <laughs> probably. And then there's this other guy, Dave, who's now like a city councilman in in like Maryland and whatever area he lives in. No like, shit. Uh, yeah. So it was like a weird ragtag bunch of us over there. So did you get good at DJing? Like, do you still know how to? Do you know how to like DJ DJ? Yeah, I mean, I got much better when I moved out here because. The, when I first linked up in college uh, with the Helium crew and then we became on point, I met this guy, DJ Prolifics, who kind of became my sensei with like learning how to scratch and all mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's funny. Back then, I thought I was the whack dude and I, I was like the producer of our crew. Like I, I had to be decent at DJing because you wouldn't even be in our crew if you weren't. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely like the weakest, I felt. Mm-hmm. And now, as the years have passed, like I feel my skill set is now like sets me up as like a strong DJ compared to a lot of younger kids. Yeah, but I would, I've never thought of myself as like, oh shit, I'm like a dope DJ. Yeah. But I, yeah, I know how to scratch, I know how to beat match, I know how to spin vinyl, and I have probably. 15 or more crates of it at my house oh shit yeah um what inspired you to pick usc to move out here hopefully my parents aren't gonna ever listen to this podcast but uh but if they do shout out to mom and dad the weed (laughs) really (laughs) i mean real talk i came out here with my family like looking at some colleges uh my parents were encouraging me to go to university of maryland i was going on a computer scholarship at the time like sc i had like a small scholarship in the beginning for computer engineering uh and i spent a night in the dorms when like is one of those things where like when you're visiting colleges and your parents are like like drop you off at the dorms those are like always the best movies and i smoked real weed for the first time because all i had smoked was east coast like brick weed up until you're right i'd never seen real chronic before and i smoked it in the dorms that night and was basically like i want to go to usc that's so funny do you you know what's funny about that because in the 90s like before um weed was like before weed was like so fucking scientific like it is now and like there's just good weed everywhere that was a real concern with people where I, i was from alaska and i would come to visit my cousins in california and they would have great weed but then they the, they would be would hear like oh you're from alaska holy shit man matt nuska thunderfuck like blueberry like <laughs> there Northern was there Lights? was right there was regional weed right, yeah. regional weeds are like you get mtf man do you get blueberry it's like i guess yeah you know man the summer after my freshman year i brought probably about two ounces back to maryland that was like the only time i think once college started that i came back for the full summer and you were like the most popular kid in I maryland. Was, we went up to university of maryland people the funny thing is i didn't want to sell any of it because i wanted that for the whole summer yeah. people were offering me like 40 50 bucks a gram for it like they had never seen anything like that really? uh and the funny thing is back then there was no security like i literally i had it in like my pockets on the airplane I right think. Like, oh, it I wasn't f- even a big deal dude I, f- I went to france for like a school trip in high school and i flew back with hash on me in my jacket pocket like not even tripping there right, was like no then, security that was like then. it was safer to have it i think on you back then yeah. than in your bag because yeah, it just you weren't gonna really get there wasn't drug dogs and there wasn't fucking there like there's no x-ray things to oh there's an x-ray thing but it was like whatever you know yeah i just don't remember security being a concern back then right like, totally totally um that's that's hilarious yeah i I and one thing before we move on back yeah. to what you said about Mark, one yeah. interesting thing is when I first moved out here, one of my good friends from high school was actually a really big fan of the f- whatever like the first thing that you must have done with Mark was really? cuz he's his name is Jeff Tobias and he he's friends with like the band Lake Trout and he's also friend do you know like Seize Mike? 
I do know Seize Mike. Yeah, so yeah. He, he's he's friends with Seize Mike. He, he's not. He produced a little bit on his own, but like yeah. like he was more just a fan. Uh, but he was a big fan, and he used to always talk to me about like how excited he was. And did like Mark did something with No Can Do back then too, yeah, right? So the first time that I met, or the first time that like I really met No Can Do, yeah, like he just stayed at my house for a week and recorded this thing called the Impatient EP, and we became close friends. Instantly. Right. So when. I first met James out here. Yeah. I remember Jeff from back in Maryland was super excited because he's like, wait, that's the guy that worked with Equilibrium? Like, yeah, it's so yeah. dope. Like, yeah, so it's yeah. funny that I have, like, way back then, like, this weird little... That's great. That was, like, literally in 2003. Yeah, this is a yeah, long way time back ago. in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's funny. What a small world. Um, so the weed brings you out. How did you get a computer engineering degree? Or I, like, not, I, not degree, oh, I, I ended uh, up switching. Yeah, well, I was really into computers at the time. How do you even like get a scholarship for that, though? Uh, I forget, to Just, be like, honest. Writing I, I was good at taking tests. I, I had like mediocre grades, but I had really good SATs, if I remember really? correct. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was ne- I was always a slacker in school, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. Even my freshman year, when I in college, when I was a computer major, yeah. I was stoned out of my mind in class. I wasn't paying attention at all. But I was good at writing the programs. Yeah. And I tell you, the day before something was due, all of the nerdiest dudes would be at my dorm, like asking me to help them, like fix really? their shit. Yeah. And like it was so funny to me because like in class I was like a pariah because I would be I would often be like so stoned that I'd be like either asleep or like falling out of my chair doing like weird i don't know i i was that was back when i was much more loose with my uh is that how you were in high school and shit too no not at all i mean i was low-key in high school i definitely like i was a stoner the last couple years of high school but like like i was i think most people's perception of me is that i was pretty quiet not that i was like real crazy or nothing right right but you you concentrated and like did got good grades and shit uh no i was i did the minimum to like be okay i mean i think i was not to sound like cocky i, I was good at school so like yeah. i never tried very hard right. and i never i probably could have gotten really good grades That's how I was. by to. the end of my school i took all the ap classes just because i knew i could half-ass it and get a b and it would still count as a 4.0 right. i basically That's did exact. something similar though yeah. i actually fucked up because i think i got a d in ap calculus my fresh my last year of high school and oh. almost got my scholarship taken away at sc because of like that d or whatever i yeah. had to like write some letter or something wait so did you get like a did you ace the sats and get like 1600 or what nah i think it was more like 1480 or oh, 15 okay. that's still that's like. still pretty it was good but it wasn't good. like yeah. i used it shit mm-hmm. i don't know like i said i was a good test taker I, I don't know why i think you could probably give me a test on something that i've never even heard of and i could get like a c plus or b on just it or do something a- like abacadabba abacadabba <laughs> <laughs> um, uh when you say you were into computers, like what what other kind of stuff were you doing other than making beats on them? Were you I mean, like, I was also doing some programming stuff. Like one of my best friends is a computer programmer, and we were kind of working on. Well, this is back to Doom and yeah. Wolfenstein and all that, yeah, like yeah. texture mapping, which was like the early 3D games. And that was like brand new then. Right. So we were working on like in Pascal and assembly language, like <laughs> we were writing like a texture mapping engine, which is basically like the the thing underneath like a video game. Well, like, you were writing your own engine? Right. Well, we were trying to. I mean, my yeah. friend was the brains behind the operation, yeah. but I did have an under At that point, I did have a pretty deep understanding of programming and like, and to me, Music making and program like programming has a lot of art to it as well because it's all about 
doing it in an elegant way, kind mm-hmm. of. And that was, like I said, that original program I used, Fast Tracker, you had to keep your samples really small. It's kind of like using like a SP1200 or whatever, like where you only have like six seconds of sample time. So they better count. Right, exactly. Yeah. You're like, you have to do it in the most elegant way. Like you have yeah. to like make use of your resources to do make something greater than the parts. And programming, especially game programming, is like that too because it needs to be, back then computers were so slow, you had to make it as fast as possible. So like, you can add two numbers together, but what if you just take the binary and shift them to the side, and that's the same as multiplying it by two, and uh-huh. then you could do that a bunch of times to do the same thing as adding the two numbers, but use a lot less clock cycles on the computer. I, I probably already lost everyone that's no, listening. I'm but down. I like my, it. my point is, like, there, it was all about finding like tricky ways of doing something simple to make it as quickly, quick, and as right. elegant as possible. And what? And so, what was the programming language back then that you're talking? Well, Pas- C plus plus was just starting, but Pascal was kind of like what you learned before you did C plus plus. Did people use Pascal at all anymore? I I know so little about programming oh, okay. at this. I mean, yeah. I barely even know how to use my iPhone anymore. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. Like my desktop is full of icons, and it's I'm, I'm like the dude that I used to make fun of. Oh, you're that years guy ago. where you're de- you just save everything to your desktop. And no, no, it's no like I'm, a, not, I'm a not really mess. that bad, but I do have okay. a cluttery mess on my desktop. But it's not because I save all my files there. Okay. I just download. Some, shit I've gone there. to producers' houses that are like they they like show me beats and their fucking desktop. It like gives me like an OCD heart attack. Like, dude, when I was in college. I once went to the CVE shack with with Jupiter. This is actually the first time I really ever hung out with Self Jupiter when he was briefly during that time. That was when he was still in jail and he got out for a while and then I think like went back for a second. But either way, during that brief stint, there was this one day where he wanted me to like mix a song. I was like the young USC kid working with Peace and he brought me over to Rid Spot, which was the CVE shack, and they had this Pro Tools computer. Uh, and he wanted me to find the song, and literally the desktop had like a billion folders, and then in one of those folders was then like a billion more folders, and then in one of those was a session called like Untitled, and then Untitled 5, 7, 8, like it was literally like 20 directories deep. It took us like hours to find this damn song, I remember, and I remember chastising them like, yo, y'all need to like figure this shit out, but the funny thing is, yeah, now it's 15 years later and my shit's all... That's so hilarious. Um, so when you get to USC and you're smoking, you're smoking your fucking reefer with your friends and computer programming. Do you get heavier into DJing? Did you bring turntables with you? No, but I quickly met at the USC radio station. So a little bit more history you before gotta, Dub yeah, Lab started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was KSCR, which was the USC radio station. Which at that time in the late '90s, early 2000s, they had they broadcast on FM uh, illegally. Uh, to most of LA and that was the spot to have a show like Sunday nights they had like REW and Curious had a show My Crew On Point had a show Assassin uh, Daedalus uh, had a show and then Daddy Kev and DJ Hive were the show right after us and that's oh, how no we shit. first met them wait time out cause I don't even think that doesn't even make sense to me in a modern sense anymore like why was the FM illegal like I've heard about pirate radio well, they didn't, it was a pirate state they didn't they had a a license. Well, you you're allowed to broadcast just on campus. I think if yeah. you don't have a license, yeah. but they had a much louder, uh, like louder transmitter than they were supposed to. Oh. But it was well known that like all the dope rave DJs all spun on yeah, KSCR, and like I even met like some of the guys from Wu Tang came down once. Like they would have like legit stuff, and it was all run by Frosty 
and his brother Derek yeah. and Alfred Daedalus. Oh, they yeah. were like kind of the station managers back then. Whoa. So eventually uh, the FCC shut them down sometime probably around like 2000, 2001, right. something like that. And Is when, college radio still dope? Because I mean, when I was in Santa Barbara, it was the same thing. Like college radio up there, I think KLOS or something like that. It was yeah, I don't know dope. if it's cracking the way it used to be. Like, it was like a big deal when I was a young rapper to like go get on the college radio oh, station. Totally. And, like, and, like, being just, on CMJ was like a career barometer back then well i don't right. even know what right. cmj means anymore right totally point. totally i would hear i would like actually call the college radio station sometimes when i heard a record and be like yo what are you guys playing right now and they'd be like oh it's this new like eli record that just came out <laughs> you know dude one of my early jobs actually uh was working at specter radio promotion which uh-huh. at the time that was right above uh vinyl fetish uh-huh. on vermont i don't know if you remember that record store do you, do you know where, like, on, like, Vermont and just past Hollywood, there's, like, the extra large store and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was on that block. There was a really dope record store called Vinyl Fetish. And above it, DJ Hive briefly had a studio up there. And then there was this company called Spectre, which I believe they're still around. And they were, like, one of the top independent uh, radio promotion companies. Uh-huh. And I didn't know shit about it. I actually had gone there with Ed from the Glitch Mob to buy records and Frosty from Dub Lab, uh tying all the dub lab stuff in he worked at specter and we went up to visit him and he was like yo i'm quitting today does someone want my job and i was like cool i'll take it what the and like i didn't know anything about radio promotion or understand like the whole pay to play kind of aspect of it right it's very schmoozy like oh, it was let's cra- take us to dinner and do this and then the other i was supposed to call like they gave me like the unimportant stations basically yeah. but like i was the rpm director so which is like electronic and hip-hop basically yeah. so they would give me like 200 stations to call and i would literally tell them what they were supposed to chart and in what order uh and the whole idea was we sent them free cds every week and if they want to keep on being on our mailing list for free cds when i tell you to like play this play to chart cool keith's black elvis is number two this week like that's what they would do and it it was funny because i didn't really understand i didn't even know what cmj was when i started that job yeah uh, and I only lasted there for about six months because I basically spent most of my time hanging out with DJ Hive at his studio smoking weed <laughs> instead of uh, doing the job there. Uh, but uh, it was an interesting looking back at it after I learned more about what that even what part of the music industry that even is. It yeah. was interesting, like having had that experience, I guess. Right. What, uh, tell me more of the USC radio stories, if you have any good ones that stick oh, out. Oh, I, I can tell you one where uh, where Wu-Tang stole my weed. Yeah, please tell me that story. So, I f- I'm trying to remember who exactly was there that day. I, I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Raekwon, I want to say Ghostface, and like one other person was there at the station. And yeah. they had like a show in LA or something. Right. So my dorm was like right above the station. Uh-huh. So everyone, it wasn't for my show or anything, but every like it was buzzing around the station that Wu Tang was going to be there that night. So I run down there and I bring like, and this is I was like a poor college student at the time, so like weed was very expensive to me. Right. Uh, so I come down there with like my brand new looking fancy pipe from Galaxy Gallery that I'm so right. proud of. Because back like, then it's like, yo, look at the glass; it's all right, inside exactly. Out. And then I had like my little gram of super nice weed, and I'm going to smoke out Wu Tang, and like Frosty had sent me to go get it i feel like and i come back 
And first they're like, nah, son, this is a crack pipe. We don't smoke out of no yeah, crack pipes because right. they're all from the East Coast. Yeah, the East Coast glass, doesn't smoke out of pipes. Yeah, they don't fuck with glass pipes. Yeah. So I'm like already deflating. They're like, yo, give me that shit. We're going to roll this up. And they like take all my weed, which at the time I thought I was going to like pack one little bowl for the right. <laughs> I'm like broke. And then some shit happened where someone came to the station to get an argument with them. I think it had something to do with like loud records. Like yeah. that might have been when they were like getting Beefy. off of loud oh, yeah, or yeah, yeah. someone came and started yelling. And basically their security dude just hustled them into an SUV and like they rolled down the window as they're pulling off. And they like, like there was some moment where kind of I was standing next to the SUV and I was trying to like let me be get like, my, yo, let me get, get my, my weed back. <laughs> And they just rolled down the window like, thanks for the weed, son. And then they just like rolled off. like, And I was just like, oh. oh. And that's what, yeah, that's so funny because like now people just throw like fucking full ounces at people. And right. shit on stage. Like weed is like such not a big deal as it used to be. Yeah, it, like I said, times have changed a lot since then. But uh, for real, yeah. that's hilarious. So, so you meet Kev at the radio station? Yeah, so Kev and Hive, that was... I think I feel like this is before even Concrete Jungle had started. They were pretty new on the scene as far as like the drum and bass scene. Yeah, because Hive is also from Maryland. He had so moved out here. I know Kev. Obviously, shout out Kev. We're in his studio right now, uh, and he is like a, a fucking mentor to everyone in LA. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. much everyone. Yeah, um, but I'm not that familiar with Hive. So back then, before there was Alpha Pup, there yeah. was Celestial, which yeah, was right, right. Kev's the... first label, which was him and DJ Hive oh, and okay. this MC Phoenix Orion yeah, and this Phoenix other guy, Orion. Josh, the DJ Troublemaker. That's right. Okay. Uh, now I remember him telling that story. Right. Actually. And they all okay. had like a falling out where Josh and Phoenix left and then right. Hive and Kev still had Concrete Jungle. They had, And so they all started Concrete Jungle and then they had a spinoff label from Celestial that was called, wait, was Violence? I don't think Kev actually had anything to do with violence. I think that was Hive's spinoff. But either way, my point is that was their original. Like, Kev has kind of done the same blu- blueprint a couple times, I think. And right. finally, like, with Low End Theory and Alpha Puck is when it, yeah, exactly, yeah. it finally all clicked together. Right. Because uh, that's the sign of a successful businessman is you got to have a lot of failures before you have your success. Right. He, he has a formula, and right. he's each time he's implemented it, he's tweaked the parameters a little bit. Right. And also, I mean, just like everything, there's also a little bit of dumb luck every time right, being right. at the right place at the right time. Totally. And, and he just uh, found it with low end. Right. Yeah. But he definitely, like, he... Yeah, he's from very early on, way back when he was already kind of formulating the seeds of what he, the empire the, that he has the, now. Yeah, I think. the big idea, kind of. That's crazy. Um, and so when you're meeting these guys, is it like, hey, what's up? I DJ. Can I play your shows or what? Well, what it really, the funny thing is, back then they were all jocking us because we were kind of big in the drum and bass scene. Okay. And my sensei dude, uh, DJ Prolifics, yeah. Carlos, he was considered one of the best like scratchers outside of rew he was probably like the second best dj in in la for drum and bass yeah and and hive's whole angle is that he knew how to scratch also so him and carlos instantly collect connected and they used to come to our they had the show right after hours and then we would hang out during their show and then they'd come up to the dorms and they'd scratch with Carlos sometimes. And that oh, was how shit. we first met them. Yeah. Uh, and that was... And so were all these guys college students at the time? They weren't in college, like, uh, but Kevin they were college little, age. They were a little like, older, right? Uh, no? Kev is maybe like a year or two older than me, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know how old yeah, Kev right, is, right. but I right. think he's just a few years older than me. Right. They, everyone was young back then. Right. I mean, the other weird thing is, so Hive was also... An, I didn't know this back then, but he was like an intern at Enterprise Studios back then. 
And when Abstract Rude and, and I first became close, he when he first saw Hive, he knew him as Mike the Intern that interned on his, some of his studio sessions when he was doing, uh, not paint, uh, uh, maybe South Central Think Tank. One of his early, or maybe even Mood Pieces, one of his very first albums, yeah. Hive was like the intern at the studio for it. That's or crazy. Whatever. Yeah, it's, huh. it's funny how... I mean, Kev also, I think, used to work at Thrive Records at one point, too, uh-huh. that was maybe... I forget how that's... High, like, all of the... Everyone has been doing shit since, like, the 90s, basically, that right. are all kind of, like, interweaves out, like, with each other. Well, and it's funny how people... Everyone who's been doing it for so long, you all stay in contact loosely one or one way or another, but everyone's path kind of leads to different places. And, like, while Kev is fi- is finding his success on the business end of low end and, and uh, still as a, as a thriving DJ um, and just record label owner, like, you're having this second coming as an artist right i've been super lucky that i've kind of started like yeah i've kind of found a home with some mcs that are relevant right now where that really resonates like the stuff we're doing and uh yeah no it's it's really cool even like elvin how elvin's kind of yeah reinvented himself a few times over the years and like uh i mean shit even even elusive elusive's another guy who's kind of had like a second coming recently right. uh because i remember jocking elusive way back when i was in college me and ed i remember buying that single he put out that had ac alone on it that had that really say, distorted I remember, song i mean speak of the devil i mentioned eli for some reason but i remember i think eli and elusive worked together on they, some stuff they did i think right? eli was on that single too it was like a elusive vinyl that had had that song i think it was called like electric something that that was the one that i loved it had like ac alone but his voice was all like distorted on it or something but i think there might have been eli song on there too uh but yeah like that was there was a time when i was probably 18 where i was like yo if i could just be like elusive and put out a vinyl with ac alone that would be the best right at that time it's it felt like putting out a physical copy of something with like official artwork and everything like you were on then oh totally right I remember thinking like, oh man, when my first CD comes out, like, oh my God, I'm going to turn this thousand dollars into $10,000 and then like, it's going to be so on. <laughs> no, the the real shit was when I did Megabyte with Peace, yeah. Battle Axe got that in the listening stations at Tower Records Whoa. and my parents were able to go to Tower Records and like Hear see my shit. shit in the listening station. And that was definitely like, all right, it's real now. That's like, tight. Uh, and the funny thing is that was back when you got advances for albums too. Like, like so you I got some, like, you got some chips off that. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. Like people were handing like well the whole thing we did with Battle Axe, uh, Mad Child at the time. That was when they had just gotten signed to like EMI or whatever they their deal with Swollen Members was. Yeah, and they briefly moved to LA, and he was literally like the Mem- Godfather. Like you, if you you would roll into their spot in Marina Del Rey, you'd play him the first three songs for your album, and he'd cut you a check for five grand. Like, what? Like literally, that's what happened. Ab brought me there. We played him like the first three songs. Yeah. Ab even made me burn a different CD. I remember because I had my favorite three songs in the beginning, and he's like, "Nah, he's not gonna like those three. Uh. He's like, all he's gonna listen to is three. Let me put these three songs in the front. Wow. And like we went there, and yeah, he like wrote us a check. Is this when you're already out of college? Yeah, that that was like towards the end of college, I think. Like, college did you end up graduating college? I did. Uh, like, there was a moment where I switched to the music school, and then there was a moment where I really felt like it didn't make sense. But but most of how I was able to go to SC is That's my my Thornton? grant my yeah exactly yeah. Though I was in the recording program there, okay. uh, and it was cool because I was the last 
class to graduate while they still had like an SSL console and a two inch tape machine and oh, all sure. that shit. Yeah. Uh, so you got to learn some analog Yeah, so stuff. I did get some really good knowledge from that. Uh, but anyway, there was a moment where I was about to n- not to, but my grandfather basically paid for most of my college. Yeah. And it would have just been like so disrespectful not to finish, even yeah. though it's not like, like the funny thing is a lot of my career is based on connections that I did make back then. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that college was a waste because I mean, I met all the dub lab guys. I met, I met a lot of people that, mean something in my life still mm-hmm. but the degree itself i don't think actually meant anything for my life totally i feel the same way about college and i think that a lot of people that end up in the creative arts feel that way about college where it's like yeah sure you like had a bunch of fun and met a bunch of people and that's what's helped that's what really helped you but the actual schooling part maybe didn't do that much yeah i mean the only time my degrees ever helped me was when i worked at an after school program i got 15 an hour instead of 12 an hour because i had a bachelor's degree there so, you go like, yeah stuff like that yeah i, I look back I, there was a long time where i thought like oh my my college education didn't do shit for me and now i look at the stuff i'm doing and i'm like oh no it all started to pay off it's just like it took a long time because i wouldn't know how to do any of the video stuff i do or the photo stuff i do if I didn't go to school for it. So True. Uh, anyway, blah, 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 blah. Uh, when you get out of college, what do you do? Uh, at that point, I was still like kind of, we were making money being drum and bass DJs. Uh, I was working jobs like at after school programs and I was doing, uh, I was DJing for Abstract Rude. Like, like I did a fair stint where like DJ Drez kind of retired from being Ab's DJ and I became his touring DJ for a few years. Well, so, okay, then let's go back a little bit. Uh, I think this ties out, if this were like a a movie, we were back to the scene where it's like, life's crazy. You want to see how I got here? Because you you started with the peace story. This is the get down. (laughs) Right. So the peace, so the peace story, you meet peace. And does that kind of just like, that's what like, opens you up to the MC world? Oh, yeah, world? so that that just sent me on a whole tangent. So so shortly after, yeah, the, the for conclusion the, for of young, the... For young people listening, if there are any youngsters listening, Peace is a member of the Freestyle Fellowship. One of the best MCs of all time, Seminal though, that's LA never rapper. gotten his due in any way, shape, or form. Right. Uh, I mean, a lot of his raps would still fit in with what's currently popular, I would say. Like, he's a hi- highly influential in if a If you like ASAP Ferg, then you would love Peace, because I think ASAP Ferg sounds like vintage Peace all the time. There you uh, go. But, uh, yeah, so that sent me on a whole tangent, and the conclusion of the Peace story is, so he comes over and he does that song with me. Mm-hmm. And I was just like 18 or 19 at the time. I didn't know about what was going on. He was living on Kev's couch at the time. Mm. Kev and Hive had a spot called the Auditorium mm-hmm. in, in Mount Washington. And Peace is super crazy, too. He's schizophrenic and has like multiple some, personalities. Yeah, like some crazy drug and alcohol problems. And he's gone on documentaries and talked about that and stuff, so that's not like new information. Yeah, I'm not like yeah. putting him on blast or anything. Right, right. And this was the time in his life when it was first really, it's really sad looking back at it because we were all young. I didn't really even realize what was happening, but this is when it was first manifesting oh, itself. And, and that generally manifests itself in people in their mid to late 20s. That's right. when people. That's when that starts showing its signs. Yeah. So he had what we would call a nutty at yeah. Kev's house. Uh-huh. And Kev kicked him out. And I get a call. It's like, yo, Kenny, let me come over and finish that song we did the other day. Mm-hmm. And I come over and pick up Peace, not realizing that he wants me to pick him up because he just got kicked out of the place he was living on the couch at. Right. And he literally lived with me on various couches of various dorms and apartments for the next three to four years of my life. Shut up. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
What's so that, that changed like? my whole life because yeah. basically now I had a member freestyle fellowship living in my dorm. Yeah. So like all the global flotation dudes would come over like John, John and Thavius Beck back when he was called ad lib and, yeah. uh, and like, uh, I know, Zagu, uh, Pterodactyl would come over. Yeah, like, I, I don't know if this podcast is making sense to anybody. Yeah, these to are show, all like the, but, the. But for me, I love this because these are people that I was like scared of when I first moved to LA. <laughs> yeah, know? these are all like the like the younger gangsters of uh, of Project, Project Load. Load at the time, like yeah. the young hungry dudes. Right. So they were all coming over because they who were are, all who are like people like me and James and Dumbfounded. Those you are were the, the OGs. Next, right, Those you are were the like, OGs. I wasn't ever really a Blodian, but I was just around them. You know what I mean? But I, but I knew to be like intimidated of those dudes who were like really aggressive and good rappers. Right. You know? Right. These were the aggressive good rappers. So yeah, yeah they would all come over. That's how I met Ab first. Uh, he came over uh, to work on something originally with peace and then i ended up doing the song birds of a feather on paint uh-huh. and that's how me and ab and then so in the aftermath of a shoot shoot forward a few years wait uh, hold on don't shoot forward a few years let me t- let me ask you this when peace moves into your dorm are like people do people know who he is no around? but people were scared of him like yeah. it was so crazy like because him and i don't do you know joseph joseph Limeberg? no he's half of uh the do, him and terrace martin are the guys that did like most of kendrick's last album okay, i know terrace martin joseph's yeah. the trumpet player and he's okay. also played for like snoop and hello okay. people he was really good friends with peace back back then yeah. and him and peace would literally i would go to class and they would sit on campus and just holler at girls the whole day oh, shit. and then we'd all meet up and smoke weed afterwards and like we'd come back and actually the girl that i dated for almost like five years in college yeah the first time the way i met her is this this little vietnamese girl knocks on my door one day and she's like hey this guy named Peace said that I should come over and say hi or something no. like that. I'm like, hey. So it wasn't her, but it was her best friend that yeah. ends up like becoming my girlfriend. Like, and literally, some girl that Peace had like hollered at in the lobby of my dorm. That's or something fucking like that. hilarious. Uh, how, how would how would he like eat? Like, it doesn't sound like he was working if he's living he on your couch. He's like shit a superhuman person to be. Again, this all goes back to I was so young. Like looking back at it, I say this stuff like feeling like like bad about it. Yeah. I guess, but he like wouldn't eat he would basically like do drugs and drink a lot like he would often by the time i would wake up in the morning he would have already gone to the liquor store across the street gotten a one of the small bottles of hennessy and drank it through a straw wow. like that was how he would wake up he would eat sporadically uh, he would just like what, like bumming people's meal cards at USC or something to go eat at the in the uh, diner when we or cooked what? food. Oh, okay. He would eat. Yeah. Uh, he like. I mean, I don't want to make this whole podcast right, about right, peace because totally, totally. peace has a really crazy life story right, about his right, younger years. Right. Uh, but he basically like never learned. I feel like a lot of like the basic like life skills of, or at the time, like it seemed like yeah, he would just drink and do drugs and and he has this metabolism that was like superhuman because he would ingest cocktails of things that would pretty much kill Kill anyone yeah and they wouldn't even seem to phase him like he would do like 10 hits of like i remember him and kev and hive all did some gig in hawaii and they brought back this vial of liquid acid and he would do it like every night in a row like and he would do it with different rappers at our house i remember one day literally I'm, i'm making beats in my in my bedroom 
and I open up the door and Peace and or- do you know Orko the yeah, psychotic yeah, alien yeah. Peace and Orko are sitting on my couch in the common room yeah. crying like bawling like together. little girls together wow. I'm like <laughs> Holy eight shit. hits of this acid oh and I literally gosh. just go back in my room shut the door I'm like I'm not going to go out there again well, so for the rest what of the is, night what is your mentality like with that was it kind of like you were happy to have him around or were you intimidated to have him around or like what was it you a know mixture I mean? like, of everything I yeah. mean me and Peace were, were he was my best friend at the time we we definitely like were very close yeah. and I was one of the few people that could control him at the time too so I also felt a certain responsibility sometimes because right. uh and I was having so much fun creating back then yeah. that it was like this. I mean, yes, there was definitely days where I was like super pissed because right. also Phoenix ended up moving into my house too. So I became like the basically the dormitory the for people for that Kev souls. kicked out of the okay. auditorium because yeah. Phoenix also lived with Kev yeah. on their couch and got kicked out. And at that point, I have Peace and Phoenix and their girls all living on my couch. Jesus, yeah, or at least Peace's girl, right? Uh, but it was yes, there was days but it's like where there, I there hated are people, that shit. There are people that have sort of this black hole of creativity around them that just kind of like sucks you into it, and then you don't mind it so much that that's exactly right? what it was. Yeah. And peace also back then he would go, he would do a lot of crazy shit, but he was also the type of dude that in the morning would like have cleaned the whole house or something like that. Like he he was one of those guys. He would break the PlayStation, but then he would like go buy some cheap video game thing right. the next day or right. something like right he he was always trying really like, hard just to, when i thought you couldn't get any worse right. you, went in, you know like the scene from dumb and Dumber. yeah he, it was exactly like that That's uh, so yeah and and like you said he, it was that vortex of creativity yeah. he was one of those people that was so wildly creative and it was so much fun to you be around that creativity be that yeah exactly and and also that was at a time when i mean everyone needs to like have their like shedding years where they just like work really hard and don't do anything but like work on their craft right and that's how i accomplished that is like i was either scared to come out of my room when they were on some crazy drugs or just like didn't want to deal with anyone i mean saying i, I was never scared to come out that was that's right. an exaggeration you but like I, mean. I, w- I would just not want to deal with all the shit going on in my house yeah. so i would just stay in my room and work on beats some more right. and that's how you get really good at something like and so how during that process you just you may, named a bunch of people that started to come in the circle as well but that's around the time that you met Ab, Ab Rude? Yeah, so I met Ab around that time, and then when the whole USC era finally ended, yeah. uh, there was we had, the house that we were living at, there was like a fire, and we all had to move out. No, uh, that sucks. Yeah, it, it really did suck, uh, and everyone kind of scattered to the wind. I was living at my girlfriend's mom's house for a while in San Gabriel, and then uh, we were recording a song for abs, uh, not paint, uh, showtime, the album after paint. Okay. And I didn't have a studio anymore because my stuff was on storage. So daddy Kev, uh, told us that we could come record at his house. And this is when him and Danielle lived, uh, in silver Lake at Uh the time. uh So we come over and record the song and Danielle's all like, Hey, like, I think there's a house. I'm telling the sob story about how my house caught on fire and I have no place to live. And she's like, I think there's like a house for rent right around the corner. And then Ab's like, Hey, you know what? I'm trying to move out of my spot. And we literally went and looked at that spot and we ended up moving in there. Uh, You and and Ab did. Yeah. So then we lived in Silver Lake together for like five, for the next five years. And that's when I started DJing for him. Uh, Uh, And that was kind of like chapter two of my career was like the abstract rude years. How, what, what year was that? You think probably like 2004, 2004. 
Yeah, 2004, because we went to Europe together in 2004. That and That, that right would have been there. around the time that I met you, too, because I think that I met you as, like, oh, this is... I was Ab's roommate. This, Everyone knew well, me as Ab's roommate. Right, well, I, I think Ab's roommate and Ab's DJ. And, right. like, James uh, was around Ab and them a lot. Them, no Can Do was around yeah. them a lot. And that's when I... He was kind of, like, my entry point into the L.A. scene because I was living in Santa Barbara, but I would come down to L.A. to visit with him, and then we would go to hella rap shows together, and he knew everybody and would introduce me to everybody kind of right and that's when i started working at juice which was when i already kind of knew yeah. james but that was when we really got close was juice was like an open mic in koreatown right right it was this it was supposed to be like an after school program but yeah. it kind of evolved at least the mc part of it like evolved into more of like a cool open mic for people like dumbfounded, dumbfounded was, was really right he was thing. one of the only people that was actually in high school i think at the time yeah. like james lyra, lyra and, flip maybe would he go yeah lyra flip was yeah. used to come uh sp yeah. used to come um, uh, that's how I first met Open Mike. Also, yeah, that's how, well. That's one of the ways. One of the first things I knew Open Mike was like kind of involved with was Juice. Right, he, he used to ride for Juice heavy, like as much as the bloat almost. Yeah, because he well he was really into the. I mean, he's always had like a aspect of like community activism he, yeah, in yeah, his, yeah. his career. So. Yeah. Uh yeah, and even after I left Juice, he did some more stuff with them because him and Ross G they went to like Uganda. Like did you ever I hear about that? that? Yeah, and that was all that. through Juice also. Yeah, he has a great reference to that song or in one of his songs about going to Uganda and the radio host asking like where's all the guns in the bitches. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, shout out Mike. We don't shout Mike out enough on this yeah, show. Yeah, definitely. Shout out Mike. Uh Wait, oh, I, that brought up a good... Oh, and then there's uh, Daniel Rizik. I know him. Yep. Oh, so Grant. on some full circle stuff. Yeah. So my crew, Team Supreme, we just had our first show in over a year at the El Rey. Sold out or what? Uh, I, it was... I'm, well, wait, I'm going to ask that again and just say sold out and go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, uh, yeah, had to show the on, on, on no, some real shit yeah, though. Yeah. I feel like people throw out like terms like sold out very loosely these days. It's true. Like, I don't think we, before doors opened, it was not an official sellout. Right, the crowd was packed all the way to the back. Totally. I couldn't have been happier with the turnout. Totally, just say totally. That. There's really no uh, such thing as a full sellout unless you're like a giant, giant act because they can always squeeze some well, more people somewhere. We used to sell the Team Supreme shows at the Echoplex. We did have official sellouts really? because we we would have like. One of our biggest ones there, yeah. we had over a thousand people come through the doors, which yeah. is crazy because the cell because the capacity it's is only like eight, it's like yeah. eight ninety or something oh, okay, like that. Yeah. So like we had had people leave and then more people came able in. to come in. Yeah, uh, that's tight. But yeah, I mean it was a dope show. But my real point is Daniel Daniel yeah. from Juice. He now works for a company that does these like lighting rigs with these giant balloons where they have your logos on them, but they're all controlled through MIDI, like lights in the balloons and stuff. And I didn't, I wasn't the one who hired them to do the lighting for our show. But when I get there, Daniel's there doing the lighting for our Team Supreme show, which was another one of those like, oh shit, small world. Yeah, exactly. Everybody starts off together and ends up wherever they end up, you know? Yeah. Um, Very interesting. So when you're living with Ab, just tell me about that section of your life, kind of. Uh, That was super fun because Ab, like, that was during probably the peak of ab's career so like that was when he was constantly going out on right. tour uh we would always have he, like got signed to rhyme sayers around that time yeah that was towards the i lived with him at the end of the battle axe years and the beginning yeah. of the rhyme sayers oh, years yeah, that's right. he was like fully on battle axe that's right yeah okay yeah he's always been like the free agent of project blood like yeah. with some yeah. of the 
the out of town labels. Uh, but yeah, that, those were awesome years. We were right in the middle of Silver Lake before it was like cool to be in Silver Lake. Uh, we, we were walking distance from the Little Temple, or now it's the Virgil. Right. So we used to always be at the Root Down and like uh, Sketchbook and all of that. St- that was Sketchbook like a really is the OG. Like that's like kind of almost where like Low End Theory kind of spawned. Or yeah, like a lot of the stars I would say that's where bra- that's where Brain Feeder basically Brain. came out of. In there fact, one of my biggest regrets is that was literally like down the street from my house. And I only went a few times back then. I I was just wrapped up in so many other things at the time. It wasn't like I wasn't doing stuff. Right. But sometimes, I, like, when all of that, like, in the immediate aftermath of that, when Brain Feeder happened, I was like, damn, like, I should have been going there more because, like, oh, that was, like, magic was well, happening. Well, yeah, because now they're all playing the bowl. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was an amazing show. I went there the other night. Nice. This is good. Yeah. Uh were you making most of Av's beats at that time, or where was he getting beats from? Uh, I mean, Fat Jack has always been his oh, yeah, main producer. Right. Uh, I have one or two beats on each one of his albums since we became friends. Uh-huh. Uh, I was also engineering a lot, though, like Paint and Showtime. I did a bunch of the recording sessions and mm-hmm. some of the mixing sessions. Mm-hmm. And that was also where me and Kev also, that was another time where me and Kev cross paths a lot was on those paint sessions mm. basically me and kev were the two engineers that he would use on everything uh who were you making beats for around that time or were you still working on beat stuff yeah it? i was still working on beats i mean that was around the time where i made my ken can cook album that oh shit i remember all, ken can right, cook. that had all yeah. the project blowed guys on yeah, it yeah because and i remember like james had a everybody would, like made a song about food right yeah exactly right, right, i would right. make a meal and then invite different people over that's right uh, so yeah i was this doing is when concept albums were like a big deal you know people right, wanted exactly. to have a concept so tell me the concept of the can can cook so i mean i've always been in the cooking so i would basically just cook a meal and then i'd invite an mc over and we'd eat it and then do a song about it some of them were fully literal like i had a big barbecue that was a posse cut where Mm. everyone rapped about barbecues or like one song i made jerk chicken for dr oop and then he wrote a song that was all about going out with different girls and it's not working out and then he jerks chicken at the end of the night that's hilarious i was just trying to remember dr oop the other night i i I feel like i've forgotten more rappers than like (laughs) most people learn about in their life but i dude i I used to live in pomona when i first moved here and i would go to the glass house and so i'd always see like phoenix orion play like opening act and or like subtitle or or uh uh, i would see i would see driver there all the time like a tumex like all those guys would just go to the shows because it's a half hour outside of la and they were just always trying to get stage time but I actually saw Dr. Oop like play a gig there and bought his CD off of him off the street. And it was like one of my favorite records that year. Dude, he's so good. He's uh, fucking dope. So I have an album with him too from those college years no that shit. we did. Wait, which one? It's called The Memoirs of Planet Lovetron. Uh, it didn't come out until 2006. We, we recorded it okay. in like 2000 okay. to 2002. Okay, okay. Uh, but because of various issues yeah, it never this really would have came been out like, like when i was into dr Roop, it was like oh one and then i think i bought another record off of him in oh three right you probably liked him when it was like just the three of us was the big single he did with uh dj revolution and then he had or that or that was the one with thess one actually and then he, he had some song that had like a lauren hill sample on that i yeah. love so much yeah yeah he's he's super dope i mean i still work with him i actually just put out a project with him last december no kidding uh that was then we toured canada for it uh he, uh, I mean, he's always been like a real low key dude. He, yeah, he has a lot of fans out in Canada that he, he 
tours like a circuit up in British Columbia every year. Right. Uh, but yeah, we just put out a free project you can download from my from my uh, Bandcamp or from my uh, SoundCloud page called Sick. the Cuffing Season that we uh, oh, shit. put out that has some really dope songs on it. Actually, nice. well, shout out Doctor Oop. Yeah, uh, tell me more about Can Can Cook. So yeah, Ken Can Cook happened. Uh, that came out on Project Blowed slash Decon, which was like the parent label for Blowed at the time. Right. Uh, and that was also like further. That was kind of the when I first called in all my favors. I've been recording for free for like everyone in LA for uh, so long. So that was like when I was like, all right, well now you got to be on my album. Right. Uh, right. But it worked out really good. Uh, and then that was also the time when I started working, doing the job, doing the TV music. Uh, right. And that was kind of when my career, I wouldn't say it went on hiatus, but I definitely like, you got an adult job. Yeah. I mean, it was adult job making music all day, but it was still like an adult job. So I didn't focus as much on my stuff. And then I was dating a girl who was a musician too. So I like was helping her with her stuff a lot. How is it, um, when you are a music maker inherently and you get a job where that becomes like all of a sudden it's it's like now there are deadlines to make stuff. You're not doing it on your own timeline and you're like being forced to be creative on a schedule. Does it does it affect the the, the brainwaves and the creativity or was it easy to just kind of like get it done? No, it definitely affects it. I mean, yeah. ha- first of all, having a job where you have to be creative every day on demand, it's, a lot is, of pressure. it's an emotional roller coaster. Like yeah. it makes you feel awesome some days and it makes you feel like shit other days uh and definitely there would be like an ebb and flow of like when i would be doing it when i'd be killing it at work i would probably not even work on music at home for long stretches because if you make music for 12 or 14 hours in the studio all day for someone else and maybe made a lot of money doing it too you're not really super motivated to work on your stuff or you don't even know what your stuff sounds like sometimes because you've been working on other people's stuff. Like making jingles and shit. Right. But then there'd be times, though, I mean, my company, we made TV music. My specialty wasn't really like corny, like jingly. So like I'd more be making hip hop beats or rock songs for car commercials. Uh, Okay. Uh, But either way, yeah, like there'd be times where I would be doing horrible at work where I'd have like dry spells of not selling anything, but I might be, killing it at home every day uh. so it would kind of go back and forth uh definitely it was uh i mean i've said this before i don't think i'm the most talented of my friends that make music but very few people i know could ever have worked at that job because of the type of pressure of like having to come there every day and Turn make music on. yeah yeah uh, and somehow I was pretty good at that. Uh, and, and I learned a lot about both my creative process and just like myself, like having to do that, like all those years. Right. Well, so like specifically, what was it that like, how, what was it about that job? Like, how did you, not how did you get it, but what did you do? Uh, oh, so I was a composer at a company that's called like, well, they're called like a music house and basically they get hired by everyone from ad agencies to film directors to video game makers to make custom music. Uh, and they had a whole bunch of us on staff and it was, it was kind of like being on like top chef or project runway. You come to work and they'd sit us all down in the conference room and say, today we got to make rock songs for this, uh, Nissan commercial. They really like this Coldplay song. They also mm. like this black key song. Mm. They want it to be about this tempo. So you get like mood uh, boards kind of. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they'd be like, they really like the guitar tone in this song and they love the drum sound in this one. And it uh. needs to have a breakdown at 22 seconds when they reveal the car. So these are like big car 
commercials. They're not. It's not like some like oh come down oh, to I, Nissan Torrance. Well, know? I mean the funny thing is that sometimes those little regional ads are the ones that pay the most money because they use the same music on for every like different years. region. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you get different royalties for each one of the sub regions of oh, the so same. Like, so you were getting like royalties and stuff personally for the stuff you made. It doesn't just like go to the company, right? Well, so this is how it was like Top Chef is yeah. we were all on a salary, but the salary was very small. Uh, but when you win, so so they, they'd give oh, yeah, us all the yeah. jobs, but there'd be like six or eight of us competing. So yeah. then we all go to our studios and we have like anywhere from a few hours to a few days to do this music. Whoa. I mean, sometimes you'd have 10 pieces of music a week you had to write. Like, yeah. uh, so then you work on the music, everyone turns it in, and then the client chooses one. Oh, and that no. person gets paid a lot more. Right. Or, and even that was weird because depending on the job, Winning it could be anywhere from a few hundred dollars to like tens of thousands of dollars, and they wouldn't tell you ahead ahead of time. There's no like way of knowing what the royalties are going to be on right. something. So it you, was kind of like you you're competing against everyone, and then once you win, you have to spin a prize wheel for what the actual prize was at fuck. the end. Of yeah, the day. so like you couldn't you couldn't like uh, regulate the effort you were going to put into it because you never knew like which effort was right sometimes the dumbest thing would end up being like the most money i ever made in my life off of anything there was we were the ones that sang we are farmers bum 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 shut the fuck up i mean my boss wrote it so but all of us sang it so we all got like sag royalties for singing that that shit was the biggest payday ever uh but the funny thing about it is when we did it they assigned each of us to make ten college fight songs for farmers, like for yeah. the end of a commercial. Like, like it was one of the like I hated working. That that was my least favorite type of thing to do, like jingly kind of yeah. stuff. Uh, but they would tell each one of us to to come up with ten ideas, and then we would go from each person's studio, all of us singing on everyone's because we need a big group. So I literally sang on like fifty different versions of that. In one day, I had no, I, I didn't even Dog, remember that particular one. I'm, I'm like straight tripping that you're one of the voices on We Are Farmers. That's literally why I own a house, dude. <laughs> That's legendary. That's crazy. No shit, it was that big. Yeah. I Man. mean, it was, that was nah, a yeah, part whatever. of the equation, right, but, right, right. but yeah. Well, remember when, uh, remember when, I'm like, remember when, uh, Riff Raff and Andy Milanakis and fucking. Dude, so when they, they sampled, sampled us, it, yeah. so here's some fucked up shit. This yeah. is back when, when my friend, Andrew Jemba Jemba from yeah. Team Supreme, uh-huh. he used to work for Diplo at the time. Yeah. Uh, he was one of his like main, I, guess, I don't know if ghost producers or collaborators. Like, R- R- remind me because I have a full circle story about that. Too. Okay, so Jemba Jemba worked yeah. still for uh, for Diplo at the time. Yeah, and when that happened, it was my because my work. Part of why we were getting paid so much royalties on that is because we retained the copyright. My work did. Yeah. So farmers had to contact us to sue Mad Decent uh, because we were the ones who owned the copyright and had the standing to sue. So the day after, I guess, we sued Mad Decent on YouTube, the video for that song, for the Andy Milanaka song, right. said, this song has been taken down due to copyright claims from Elias Arts. And Andrew knew that's where I worked. And he called me up. He's like, Kenny, like, what happened? And yeah. I was like, tell Wes, like, I'm really sorry. It was nothing to do with me or whatever. That's but, uh, so funny. But yeah, that was, that was totally some full circle shit. I was going to say, like, uh, earlier when you were talking about the influence of peace and just how, like, influential he was as an artist, to put it in perspective. Um, oh, he was on Diplo's first album. He was on album. Diplo's first record in 2004. In fact, here's a fuck. 
the crazy thing about that yeah. is that Diplo was trying to this is I mean I had no idea who Diplo even was at the time he was trying to get in contact with Peace yeah. and he called up Battleaxe because yeah. Battleaxe had done the had the Megabyte album okay, yeah. with Peace yeah. and Battleaxe told him to call me at oh, my dorm shit. room and Diplo actually called my dorm that's so uh, crazy to talk to Peace and I put Peace on the phone and that's how they they connected that's that day. so funny I, the the way that I heard about Diplo was in like 2004 or 2003 i went to um scribble jam because that's where all the west coast mcs would go to like uh congregate over battle rapping and diplo was the opening 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 dj of like the very first night before it's even an official event it's like the 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 scribble jam opening party he was like up in some fucking basement floor and i and i had heard of him all right so i heard of him because of that uh, or no, no, actually I had, I, I went upstairs to watch him. I was like one of the few people watching him up there because I had just gotten that Diplo instrumental album that had peace on it. <laughs> and so no one else even knew who he was back then. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it's crazy. Um, okay. So Elias, yeah, you guys, you're, so yeah, just keep, so yeah, it's been about like seven years there. Yeah. Uh, God, and, now I'm sounding really old at this per, point. Uh, who cares though? The personal, I mean, I tell people how old I am constantly on here. So people, I mean, so you're kind of taking a hiatus from your personal music mostly, but probably just because of a lack of inspiration. Yeah. And, and like I said, I was still doing stuff. I mean, I was still doing occasional gigs with ab. I did, I was on a couple ab projects. Uh, my girl at the time, Janelle, like, you know, Jay natural. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, So I was working with her on some of her music at at the time. Uh, I, I was doing music. I just wasn't as focused on Kenny Siegel as an artist. And also that was that awkward time. Like, I somehow I came up originally back when the producer was a was behind the, the scenes artist. dude. Like yeah, a producer, totally. there was no option to be an artist as a producer. Totally. And then during that time, I was at Elias was kind of when that revolution happened, where yeah, all of like a sudden, oh six, oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, like Flying Lotus kind of led the way of like, yo, you can actually just be flying lotus you don't right. need to be producing for other people yeah there was a few dudes that put their foot down like i'm tired of being the fucking behind the scenes guy and i want to be the star type of shit right yeah so that's basically when team supreme happened mm. uh which is probably around 2010 or 11 or something like that and that was towards the end of my time at elias and yeah. i was literally at work one day and i saw them post volume one on facebook yeah and i sent them an email and was like yo this shit is really tight it's kind of like what i do for a living at my job uh-huh. can i be a part uh and it was being like at the right place at the right time the funny thing is that they actually i think it was dane probably that was running the facebook account i think they emailed me back right away on facebook saying uh-huh. like yo man it's kind of invite only like we'll let you know yeah. and then like five minutes later they sent a second email that was like yo i just googled you your shit is dope like we'd be honored to have you be a part of it oh shit uh and then i did a beat for volume three and then they did the first lasita show and i met everyone and we all just kind of became friends real quick and it was just one of those moments where everyone was just on the same page and getting really inspired by each other and so this is the beginning of the third act of your career yeah so that's kind of brings us into the present day of the team supreme era what was the catalyst that made you decide to stop working at elias because that's a that's a heavy that's like a steep cliff to jump off of and i always tell people like if you're gonna quit your job you know just you just gotta like jump off the cliff and i got fired oh same that's how it happened to me too i got pushed off the cliff it was amazing because it was at just the right time the company was already kind of going out of well they never went out of business but when i first got hired they had eight staff composers when they right. fired me there was only one dude left wow uh, 
so they kind of changed their format from being a staff company to being a freelance format company. Okay. Uh, but they let me go right when Team Supreme was starting, right when a whole bunch of things in my artist career, like they basically allowed everything that's happening right now so to happen. They, they didn't fire you. They got, you got laid off. So uh, yeah, I guess I got of, laid off. So you well, could still get I, unemployment and well, shit, right? No. It was kind of tricky. It was yeah. a little bit of both because I, I got canned because they, they kept on changing the deal of what we were getting kind uh-huh, of. Uh-huh. And I made a big stink about it. Cause there was, mm. there was one thing where they changed it and they promised us something and then they lied mm. and, and they admitted they lied. And like, I was the one who was kind of like, they, they were like, yo, we're going to fix this, but then they weren't fixing it. And mm. I was the one that was kind of kept on holding their feet to the fire around the office being like, yo, like y'all need to fix this. Right. There was thousands of dollars they cheated us out of. Right, uh, right, right. And, they told they basically had the, it was kind of shady they had this meeting with me where they sat me down with the boss guy and uh-huh. he very very graciously like was like Kenny you're so right about I was super polite and he was like you're right about all these things I'm going to fix them and then 2 weeks later out of the blue they're like yeah you really offended the boss man you're uh, you're out oh the worst <laughs> so but the thing is I started freelancing doing a similar thing very yeah. quickly so I never really got to capitalize on the whole un- the un- I looked into it and it was going to be like every time I freelanced I couldn't you get unemployment to, for yeah, that it's a pain in the ass. It, it became it was going to hinder me more than just yeah, going out a- and and I was very fortunate in that while I was there, I was kind of killing it for those years. So I, I saved, I had some savings. Like, yeah. like I didn't, I wasn't like out on the streets, like, oh shit, right. what am I going to do right away? Right. So I, and so B Team Supreme, or is it Team Supreme or B Team Supreme? Well, it's Team Supreme, but all the socials are beat Team okay, Supreme. That, okay, that's why I always say that. Um, I mean, I have, like, to 100% transparency, like, I did not keep up with the the beat scene too much after like 2009 2010 ish like uh because there just it became so much like at the peak of low end theory there were so many people like jumping into that water that i couldn't keep up and so ben for example in the other room he knows all kinds of stuff about various producers i don't so break it down to me team supreme is like i know great dane and jemba jemba because you just mentioned them who else is in it dot Yes. Yeah, so, well, the core group yeah. was a bunch of kids that went to Chapman University that were all in Steve Nalepa's class. Do you know Steve? No. So Steve I don't is, even know Chapman University. So Steve Nalepa is kind of, he's he's about 10 years older than me, but he's a similar kind of dude in that he's like a connector of like, yeah. like he's been a part of so many different scenes and groups of musicians like, uh, and taught so many people. But anyway, he had a a class at Chapman University, which is like a music conservatory in Orange County. Oh, okay. That was okay. like an electronic music class. Yeah. And over the course of a few years, he had Jemba Jemba, uh, Dot, Great Dane, Preston, who at the time, Preston and King Hen- oh, and King Henry, and those two used to be called Virtual Boy, and they were on Alpha Pup, and kind of had like a, I remember that, a yeah. decent career on that of that. Uh-huh. Uh, now, also Mike Parvizi was in the class, who's Penthouse Penthouse with Preston. Uh, but basically, he had this class where he would have them all make beats and kind of share them every week. Uh-huh. And when they all graduated, Mike and Preston, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Preston and Dane, kind of for a, a joke or out of boredom, were like, hey, let's keep on doing what we were doing in class. And they sent around the biggie sample of, like, my team supreme, stay clean. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and they're like, everyone flip this sample and make a beat, and they made a mixtape out of it, and that was Team Supreme Volume 1. Mm. And it was really just sent amongst those people and then a few other friends of theirs. Uh, there was a party at the time going on called The Melt, and that was uh, this guy Roger, who now goes by DJ Hoodboy, and PJ, who goes by Prom Night. They all had different names back then when Team Supreme first started. Right. Uh, and a few other people. Uh, Goodnight Cody, who was called Snorlax back then. Oh, I, saw, uh, I thought his name still was Snorlax. Oh, yeah. Now, well, now that he's like had some official releases, I think he realized that you can't be called the oh. Pokemon name. And- I feel like I started hearing Snorlax because of Lowleaf or something. Is that- yes. Well, you know what? Is Lowleaf and Cody used to be roommates back in the day. That's... Okay, yeah. When I met Lowleaf, I think they were still roommates. Yeah. Cody's yeah. Cody's another one of those dudes that's been in, like, I mean, he was also the bass player for the punk band The Addicts. Oh, shit. Which they're all, like, in their 50s, and the bass player died, and when Cody was, like, 19, he was, like, their touring bass player. Oh, shit. Yeah, he's he's done a lot of, we're like... Going, we're going deep into the yeah, circles I'm sorry, this, here. this no, is pr- going to have to be highly edited. This is no, going to be the longest not, podcast ever. I mean, I don't give a shit. No, you, I'm, we're naming names, and you guys can sort them out with Google for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Okay, Wikipedia, so, take note. I mean, the thing that I've found really interesting about you since you started um, with Team Supreme is I feel like you've had a real renaissance sound-wise. Like, I think that, I don't know if it's just being around a bunch of young motherfuckers or just that big group environment of, like, competitiveness, but there's a distinctive, I, I think, change in your sound from what I knew Kenny Kenny Siegel back in Ken Ken Cook, yeah. which is what I was familiar with, and like the Kenny Siegel of like Eat the Rich, you know, because um, there's there's just like a ton of like bounce in the beats now or something. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all the things you just said. Yeah. I mean, part of it was a rejuvenation of being around all these dudes that are, a lot of them are 10 years younger than me, but are just killing it and so... It's that same energy that I used to feel when I was around Peace back then right. of this like just really exciting creativity. Uh-huh. It's some of that. It's also that like if you do this long enough, you start figuring certain things out. Right. Uh, and also part well, of it. But I will say if you do it long enough, sometimes you also like start to sound like an old motherfucker. True. You do get stuck in ruts. But you know? the, I feel like I mean I like I said I think in the beginning of this I was also saying like Elvin elusive a few yeah. of us from back in the day I think have kind of finally found our footing in the new yeah. paradigm of how you do shit right. uh, and found a sound I, yeah and and also I got to credit a lot to some of the MCs that I've hooked up with more recently uh, I mean me and Bus Driver always worked throughout the years together but we became a lot more close in the like 2010 on kind of era that's yeah. when I started recording all his albums. Yeah, and then he brought me in. Well, I think Driver's been having a fucking. He's also having a renaissance. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's, he's having like a new career renaissance as well. That started around uh, uh, what's the one? Yeah, with perfect hair. hair yeah, yeah, perfect hair. Um, actually, one of Elvin's beats is like the one that made me that made. Uh, my favorite Driver song is the Troglodyte Wins. Oh yeah, that Elvin <laughs> did. I fucking love that song. And that was when I heard that, I was like, whoa, this is like a new bus driver sound you know what i mean like, <laughs> totally yeah anyway but but yeah him and then he introduced me to milo uh, yeah. and then when we started working together i went on that tour the perfect hair tour yeah uh and just kind of i've definitely hit a stride i mean my sounds always evolved over the years like yeah. i feel like i've had a lot of eras of sounds yeah. uh in fact it's it's funny because we talked about open mic earlier there's like an era of kind of electronic beats that i made like from maybe like 2000 
2007 to 2009 yeah. that Mike just loves. Every time Mike choose, comes over to listen to beats, I play him new stuff, and then I'll play him like a few old ones from that era that never got used, and he yeah. always ends up picking something from that era. I think like, Mike is like quietly a pop star. You know, he like I look at his songs like Good Hair, or no, I really like your haircut. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he wants to make some dancey songs sometimes. Oh, definitely. I mean. And that's one thing, that's another factor of where I feel like I've hit a stride recently yeah. is that music, a lot of the genre boundaries that used to exist have all kind of come down and you can make things, I feel like it's the era of, not to sound corny, but like songs like Hey Yeah, even though that came yeah. out a long time ago, yeah. but how that kind of just transcended everything. Right. I feel like it's the era of that type of music right now. Yeah. And that's something that I, I guess I excel at in that, I've made so many different styles of stuff through the TV stuff and all the different hip hop and electronic stuff. And I can finally kind of use all of that together to make a modern sound. Exactly. Yeah. While in the past, I feel like that was something that kind of hurt you. Like you had to be more like follow the rules of the genre and stuff. While now it's cool to kind of just have like a cool sound that you can't really tell exactly what it is. Right. Uh, Right. And I think, yeah, that's been part of it also. Like, uh, yeah. And I, and like I said, I've been really just blessed to be around a lot of creative people that drive me. I'm definitely someone that I can be lazy and like a procrastinator. And yeah. like when I'm around people that it, it, team Supreme, it, it was like a, there was a very competitive spirit amongst us, but it's like a fun competition, not right. like uh trying to bring each other down kind of competition, but right. that definitely makes me do my best work when I'm around that. That literally could have ended the podcast, but I honestly still have more questions. So I want to keep going right. for a few more minutes because I am curious about kind of where, I guess, the beat scene. Is it the beat scene? Is that what people are calling it still or no? I'm, I'm I don't even know. Yeah, to be, I mean, the funny thing is I'm out of touch of it too. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I follow everything that's happening that much myself. Yeah. Uh, I also do, I don't like knowing about everything. I, right. I like kind of having my influences that or the I surround myself in the things that I want to influence me but then I don't always like try and check out everything right well so that was kind of my thing is that by the time there was like Soul Action and Team Supreme and we did it and all these crews it almost seemed like it was so intimidating to try and delve into that and like figure out what's what and who's who and from because looking from a distance I was like it's all beats. I don't know. I didn't know. Right. Like, I didn't know how to like interpret it. No, you know what I'm saying? I feel you. I mean, what's amazing yeah. is that all of that just cropped out of nowhere. Like I what know. you just said. Like yeah. all. Like uh, and how, what, and where. Like all of these crews, all based out of this area. All in, like that's one thing that sometimes I look back at and like we're so blessed the era yeah. that we lived out here for because yeah. Los Angeles from the drum and bass revolution to all of the to the low end theory revolution to like the new era of the like collectives instead of labels like we've been on the forefront of where everyone else in the world is like checking shit out for like literally the last like 10 or 15 years. And it's like one magical little moment after another. Right. Uh, It's such an epicenter right now. Yeah. And we're very lucky. And, and to answer to actually what the question was, I don't, I can't even keep up with everything. Uh, I'm friend. I'm lucky that I have a lot of friends that keep up with that shit. So I just like learn from them to be honest. Uh, I don't have, I don't, it's not that I don't have time to go around digging into everything. I just, that's not what inspires me is to like sit on SoundCloud all day listening to everything. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, I certainly there's certain there's, I, I am aware of like, like there's little pockets of things that I'm really knowledgeable about. Uh, but yeah, 
Man, I gotta, I gotta hook you and Mark up. I need him. I need him to get some of that Kenny fucking energy. <laughs> yeah, get, get some of out. that Kenny powers over. Yeah, get him out to uh, I, to L.A. for a weekend. I, oh man, I, I just gotta hook you guys up via email or something because I feel like he would be so fucking stoked to hear about all this stuff. But uh, um, has there been has there ever been any good like uh, crew beefs between like Team Supreme and Soul Action? Have you guys ever like rumbled or anything? Not know. like in the drum and bass days, my crew used to get in fights all the time. Really? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, nah, shit is super polite in the beat scene. Yeah. Uh, look, there's like been definitely like, there's like low key little things here and there, but yeah. And, and just in general team Supreme, one thing that's interesting to me is I've obviously at this point in my career been in a number of groups and yeah. seen group dynamics right. and been in bands. They usually all don't sorts last very long. They don't. And yeah. being in a, in a group is normally like having like five girlfriends at the same time. It's, totally. it's really tough. And team Supreme has 20 members and somehow everyone gets along. And it's so weird to me That's cool. that at this point we have, I mean, there's been maybe two big things that have ever happened in team yeah. Supreme as far as like arguments or differences of opinions. Yeah. And we navigated through both of them in nice. the end. Uh, and, yeah, it's kind of amazing to me this new era of the young polite guys. Nice. Uh, no one's from the streets anymore. <laughs> For real, everybody's from the internet. Right. Um, what's the new record that you just put out on? All right, so I just put out Ken Strumentals Volume Two. I yeah. actually put out kind of like two new records because I also put out a new Cleaners album a few months ago right. with Self Jupiter. Right. So I'll talk about the Cleaners first. That's a group I have with Self Jupiter from Freestyle Fellowship. Uh, I've kind of like slowly through the years made my way through the different like Project Blood right. rappers who I've collaborated with. Right. Uh, and the Jupiter album is really dope. I'm really proud of how it turned out because uh, it has the first Cleaners album was kind of like in a style that was like a little bit more modern than either of us normally do. Right. And this one, I think we kind of went back to our roots. It still has the feel of the Cleaners. It's still dark and gritty. Totally. Uh, but it has a lot more classic. I think if you were like a fan of Project Blood stuff, you'll love this album. Nice. And if you like new shit, you'll also like this album. Uh, and does that come out on Alpha Pop? Yeah, that, well, it came out on The Order, which is like oh, Alpha yeah, yeah. Pop's like, hip hop label. Record. That's right. He's helping like curate that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, he's one of the AR for the label, him okay. and Elvin. Sick. Uh, and then my new, new project is Ken Instrumentals Volume 2, yeah. which is an instrumental tape. Uh, on Dome of Doom, which is also like a Alpha Pup subsidiary. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's oh, Wiley. I always, who is it? Have you ever met Wiley before? Wiley is the guy with dreads that sells tapes and he does the visuals at Low End Theory. I don't. Oh, he has the merch booth at Low yeah, End Theory yeah, in, the, in okay. the lobby. I had no idea, dude. I see him like retweet my tweets sometimes, and I'm like, "What is Dome of Doom?" Yeah, that's Dome of Doom Records, oh. uh, which is it's like a tape label. No, uh, sh- oh, okay, I know and, exactly who that is. Dude. Yeah, and it's basically all out of love. I mean, Wiley's a super dope guy. Yeah. He's like really supportive of people. Cool. Uh, I I hadn't put out a project on a label outside of Team Supreme or something yeah. in a while. Yeah, so it felt good just to kind of do that. Nice. Uh, and yeah, it's just a fun collect. I'd already put out a Ken instrumentals volume one on Bandcamp like a couple of years ago. It's just like jazzy hip hop instrumentals. Uh, some of them are from songs that have come out before where the instrumental was never available. A few are things from my SoundCloud, but then about at least like two thirds of it is brand new stuff. No one's ever heard before. So sick, man. Well, shit. It sounds like things are fucking going good. Yeah, and and this next year is going to be really exciting. I got a few projects in the clip right now that are going to 
be uh, kind of big deals. Like, well, I got some new stuff with Milo that's really dope. Nice. Uh, and I'm working on some tracks with uh, with Sam Herring from Future Islands. Oh, no kidding! I'm working like rap, on rap stuff. Yeah, I'm working on his solo. I'm basically producing his solo album right nice. now. Uh, and I mean, that's probably not going to be till like mid middle of next year that it'll come out. But yeah. uh, it's it's really really good stuff. Uh, I got a few things with like Serengeti that we're working on. I love Getty. Uh, yeah, he was actually just out here a few days ago. He's just over at my house a couple. I days know. Ago. Every time he's like such a mysterious fella. Like he, <laughs> he, is. he like he he'll like hit me up when he's here, and then I'll be like randomly out of town, or he'll or like he'll hit me and go, "Hey, fella, what? How are you?" And I'll be like, "What's up, man?" And he's like, "We got to play catch sometime." And I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." And, and <laughs> then totally you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so crazy, so funny. Yeah, uh, I always text him about boxing stuff. We're both boxing fans. Um, anyhow. All right, I think like we've gone probably long as fuck. Yeah. So let's wrap it here by just telling the people where to find you online. Uh, just pretty much everything slash Kenny Siegel, Twitter slash Kenny Siegel, SoundCloud slash Kenny Siegel, Kenny Siegel dot Bandcamp, Facebook slash Kenny Siegel Music, and obviously S E G A L is Siegel. S E G A L. So K E double N Y S E G A L. Obviously, like a long uh, pedigree in hip hop and beat music and all kind of shit. So if you just Google Kenny Siegel, he's been involved in like obviously handfuls upon handfuls of projects. Yeah, the last thing you probably want to do after listening to an hour and a half of me talk is Google and read more about yeah, me. Yeah, that's true. But, Don't uh, read about him, but just click some links and yeah, listen you know to music. Yeah, look on YouTube, too. There's some really cool videos that me and Jupiter have done for the cleaners. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. My, I mean, my two favorite beats of yours, it just from recent years, if people want an easy reference and are still listening, like I said, Eat the Rich. Love that fucking song. Thank Love you. that beat. And the joint on Milo's record with uh with Driver and Anderson Pack. Oh yeah. Was Actually it? you know what? That one's on, on Bus Driver's That's record. On Driver's Even record. though that could have been on Milo's record. It was And actually everything on uh So the Flies Don't Come, right? Yeah. That whole record is great. You produced that whole thing. Yep. That's Milo. So though those two songs in that in that project that I just named, very easy starting point for modern Kenny Siegel. Definitely. Bang. All right. Uh, this is the part where I'm going to talk about my social media, and you'll look at me weird, and I just go, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition. Follow my man behind the be- the boards, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery, at I am database, based with two S's, and he's being very patient. We're doing a lot of work this week. Shout out, Ben. Uh, follow us as a unit at Kind of Neat. Uh, tell a friend of a friend to like follow us on fucking Twitter. I want, I want more Twitter followers and I don't tweet enough on there, but just help me out. Uh, youtube.com slash kinda neat where you're going to see Kenny Siegel perform a beat tonight with an SP404 and some other fun tools. Uh, search for that podcast app in your app. If you're listening on a computer, you're doing it wrong. Just like download the app, search for kinda neat, subscribe. Every time we release an episode, you'll get a little update on your phone. It's fantastic and easy. Leave a five star review. Shout us out. Tell us who you want to see on the show. What else? If you are a weekly follower, if you subscribed on that app like I just told you to and you listen every week or you listen whenever we release an episode, go to patreon.com slash kind of neat. Help us keep the lights on here. All you got to do is pledge a dollar per episode or more. I don't care, but one dollar per episode is more than enough to make us uh, happy as clams or happy as a, happy as a pig and shit. Uh, that's like buying me a cup of coffee per month, $4 per month at the most. So go to patreon.com slash kind of neat. Help us keep the lights on. That being said, I think we did it, Kenny. I think we covered everything. 
I think he did. All right, so that's Kenny Siegel. My name is Intuition, and this was kind of neat. Thank you.